Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And on this episode, I am super duper excited. We have another farm tour video here on the podcast. And I say video because the full video of the farm tour is over on our YouTube channel. So go check it out. It is linked below in the description of this episode. So if you're driving, if you're working out, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this podcast, whenever you're done with that, go check out the video and see the whole farm tour of Allie and I's visit to the Lazy Acre Farms in Mariana, Florida. Ryan Ziegler is awesome. He's got a great story. His family has have this amazing farm in Mariana, and Allie and I were lucky enough to go there, tour it, and we had a blast. We got to see the cows, the chickens, and their farm store. So if you are in North Florida, go check them out. If you are in Panama City, they are actually at the downtown farmer's market in downtown Panama City every Saturday morning. So, of course, if you're there, go check them out. If you're not there, go check them out on Facebook. Go check them out at the Lazy Acre Farms. They have a lot of really cool stuff there. They do farm tours. I believe they're doing one come October 14th. So, yeah, um, Ryan is a great kind of educator with why they do things the way they do on the farm. Allie and I learned a lot about how their farm was impacted during Hurricane Michael, how he took a lot of inspiration from the likes of Joel Salatin and a lot of other regenerative farmers, as well as why they started farming in the first place. So you are about to hear the interview portion of the farm tour, which after you know over 200 episodes, this was the first actual in-person interview for the show. So I might be a little bit nervous in the audio, you might be able to tell, but it was super fun. So thank you so much to Ryan for having us out. And of course, thank you to our episode sponsor, as usual, agcareers.com. If you're interested in more careers or jobs in agriculture and food, check out agcareers.com for more. And of course, check out thefarmtraveler.com for more information and all that good stuff. Now, please enjoy episode 210 with Ryan Ziegler from the Lazy Acres Family Farm. Ryan, thanks for having us, yeah, man. man. Thank you guys for coming out. Yeah, so again, this is, we were just talking, I've done over 200 episodes of the first in-person one, so it's kind of nice not to have to rely on the internet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're in the farm store at Lazy Acres. How long have y'all had this farm store right here? So we started building the farm store in 2018, Okay. and we had the majority of it done, and Hurricane Michael happened. And so we actually finished in and opened officially June the 1st, 2019. Nice. Okay. So, so a, a little while. A little while. And y'all have got, you've got chicken, beef, pork, which we saw a little bit earlier. Um, you, you said you cut back on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the pork, right? Because mm-hmm. right. you've got some, your, your kids are going off to college. Yeah, we're, we're sort of in a transition point. You know, our boys, um, they're 18, 19, and 22. Yeah. And um, our 22-year-old is married. Our 19-year-old has finished trade school, has joined the Navy, and uh, or is in the process of finishing trade school. He'll okay. be finished soon and then join and then leaving uh, for the Navy. Our 18-year-old is um, working full-time at the peanut mill in Bascom, mm-hmm. and in January, he leaves to go to North Georgia to college. So my wife and I aren't getting any younger. <laughs> uh, pastured pigs is, a, is a, a little bit of a labor-intensive endeavor, and, and so we knew that with the boys moving on, that was gonna be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that happened 
during COVID with supply chain issues and you know just the difficulty of getting things, inflation, uh, at one point pig feed was costing about three times what it had previously cost. Ooh. And so, so it became pretty cost prohibitive to raise pigs. Um, and so we still have Sizzler, our, our boar, mm -hmm. and we have a, a sow in with, they're together right now as a matter of fact. So we haven't completely shut down on pigs, but we've just significantly reduced you know, what we have. Our consistency with pork will be a little bit inconsistent, if yeah. you will, simply because we just don't have the number of animals that we used to have. So speaking of COVID, I love chatting with people about this, not in COVID in particular, but right. were y'all doing farmer's markets before or after COVID? We were, we were. And okay. you know, I want to be careful what I say. I don't want <laughs> to get your, your podcast blacklisted or yeah, yeah. dinged or anything, but I knew there was something up, mm -hmm. all right? When we got the notification that the farmer's markets were shutting down, the roadside stands had to shut down. If you have a farm store on your farm, you have to shut down. Mm -hmm. But the large grocery stores are wide open. And for me, it just didn't connect. The, the It was just a this doesn't make sense. Why, yeah. why would it be that way? And the problem was, um, the frustrating thing for me is I'm analytical and I like to ask questions and I like to learn, but you couldn't ask questions. If you did, you were told, hey, uh-uh, that's not what we're doing right now. Yeah. And so that for me was very, very frustrating. But we, we were shut down, um, I guess mid-March uh, is when it began to happen. Uh, of 2020 so we were shut down the whole end of march april may i don't know exactly when we started back um sometime in june or july i would i would guess uh, i'd have to look back to tell you exact start date but yeah but it was really frustrating yeah so how did y'all manage because it's not like you can just tell the cows to stop growing the chickens to stop growing so how did you manage all that during covid so we were we were in the process of we had a website and we had an online store okay and it was a little bit clunky, okay? We were in the process of transitioning to a different online store that was a much more streamlined. It's what we're using today. And so we had an August, I believe it was August 15th was the date that we were shooting to launch. And that was prior to COVID even being a thing. Okay, yeah. nobody, okay. nobody knew COVID was a thing. And so we were in the transition point of migrating from our old website to our new website we were still writing the content, what, what's it going to say, what's it going to look like, what are the colors going to mm -hmm. be, you know, that form and function of it. And then COVID happened. And so the web company that we were working with, the, the online company, you know, we, we called them up and we said, hey, whatever we got to do, it, it, it may not have all the bells and whistles. Yeah. We just need a bell and a Please whistle. push it out <laughs> right now, yeah. And so, <laughs> so the website initially went out to be able to sell uh sometime in july i believe so we okay. were a full month month and a half earlier than we intended to be mm -hmm. um and we you know like everything we had some bumps in the road we had some you know curves that we had to figure out yeah um but so that was that was a saving grace uh because a lot of the small farms like ours you know you you don't qualify for an sba loan because you're a farm Mm -hmm. Well, because of the size and the scale and what we do and the, you know, when you've got multiple animals and when you go over to the FSA, the Farm Service Agency, 
You know, they were like, well, you need to go to the SBA. You're not really, you're not really what we're set up to deal with. And so we kind of were in that unique position where we're, a, what do we do? You know, and so basically we just sort of squared our shoulders back and said, you know what? We're here and it's us and we're going to do this, you know. And yeah. so what has not been an easy thing. It's, it's been a challenge. Well, I mean, it seems like you guys are, have been, I mean, since then kind of thriving because y'all are super popular at farmer's markets, like the farm store online and everything. I'm, I'm sure that was eased all the apprehension and worry you had during the pandemic. Sure. And, 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 <laughs> and the, you know, everything is a matter of degree, I guess. But when you, when you go from being very comfortable with your inventory and being very comfortable with the pace that your inventory leaves mm -hmm. and and the pace that you restock your inventory, okay? When all of a sudden people are lined up out there and they're buying you out. I mean, we literally went from our average sale prior to COVID. I believe if I'm, I'm I could go back and tell you exactly, but it was like $27 a customer. Nice. Okay. okay. So our average sale was like $27. Well, during the COVID hysteria, I mean, it was $65. Mm -hmm. And so because people just knew there's never going to be any more ground beef. There's never going to be another dozen eggs. There's never going to be another whole chicken. And so we're telling them the whole time, you, do you really need 20 pounds of ground beef? I mean, there's, yeah. there's two of you, you know, come on. Yeah. Um, and so I had a guy call me and uh, he's, he's like, man, I, I need 100 pounds of ground beef. Well, at the, at the time, I didn't have 100 pounds of ground beef. I mean, I did not, literally did not have 100 pounds of ground beef on the farm, you know, and I was like, I don't have it. He got aggravated with me, and I was like, why do you need 100 pounds of ground beef? Let's think this through for a minute. So I talked him off the ledge. He came and got like 10 pounds of ground beef, and he became a regular customer nice. okay. over time. Yeah. But, you know, I tried to explain to him, man, we're just not set up for that the vast majority of small farms that you're going to shop with are not set up for that. Yeah. And so take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, the, the world's not coming to an end. Mm -hmm. As long as the sun shine and rains falls, we're going to grow food. Okay. Yeah. So you know, step back away from the ledge and mm -hmm. you can get by with five pounds or 10 pounds or whatever. You, you don't know, need a hundred pounds. You don't need every time pounds of ground beef. That's, yeah. that's not what you need to do. But people went into that mode, that frenzy mode. Mm -hmm. And so what it created for us was a frenzy of how do we do this? I mean, you couldn't get into the butcher. Of course, we have butcher dates, but even with those, you know, the inspectors were working half schedules. And yeah. so you couldn't, it, it wasn't that even if you had a butcher date, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. you, you, you might not be able to get in there. And so that made it a challenge for sure. Um, and when you when you work really, really, really hard and you restock all the freezers and 48 hours after that, they're all empty again. It's like, <laughs> it's a good thing, but a bad a thing also. It's a good thing, but it's a scary thing because yeah. now you're like, well, now I'm spending all day long telling people I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. Yeah. And in business, you don't want to do that. Nope. You never, ever want to tell people. Because then they go somewhere else, right? right? Yeah. And they go somewhere else forever, mm -hmm. you know? And so, or at least that's the, that's what's being, that's the, the devil on your shoulder. Yeah, know? yeah. They're He's never going to come back. Never yeah. going to come back to you. You're done, you know? And, and so it was a really challenging time and it still is. I mean, we still deal with inventory. I bet, yeah. You know, um, you know, if all, if the entire cow could be ribeye steaks, if the entire pig could be bacon, you know, it'd be a, be a perfect world. But mm -hmm. the reality is, um, you know, when we carry a cow to the butcher, they weigh 
live weighed about 1,100 pounds, you know, we end up with 24-ish ribeye steaks mm -hmm. out of that, you know. Um, a 260-pound hog live weight is going to give us about 18 pounds of bacon. Right, yeah. So it's, it's not... It, it's it's not this you know we'll get 500 pounds of bacon out of a 600 pound hog it mm -hmm. just doesn't work that way yeah and um and so boy i wish it did but, <laughs> but. that's true and i heard a lot of people during covid they were a lot of people send me send me articles and they're like well can't you see like we have a beef shortage but we didn't have a beef shortage it was a bottleneck on the supply chain because there's so much like that we can process at a time yeah. and people are panic buying so they're oh we don't have enough beef we right. need to buy all the beef we don't have any beef right. but we do. It was the bottleneck that we were facing. Yeah, the, 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 the processing bottleneck was the real issue. And, yeah. and people began to realize that our food system was fragile for the mm -hmm. first time in a long time. Yeah. You know, people like my family that decided many years ago, we're going to grow our own food because it's fragile. The system mm -hmm. will wholesale, broad spectrum. People began to realize that, that, oh, it's, it, it might not be as secure as we once thought it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and part of that is, you know, you've got, say, 10 or 11 facilities, 12 facilities across the entire country that employ thousands and thousands and thousands of people, mm -hmm. you know, and they process 85% of the, the beef or the pork or whatever, you know. And so if you had, you know, if you had a thousand workers, well, if you've got all thousand of those at one place, if something happens at that one place, well, that's a bottleneck, Yeah, you know. If you've got 50 of those at 20 places, well, if two of them go offline, who cares? You know, we've got 18 of them running full blast. You mm -hmm. know, we work an extra shift at the 18th one, you know, and, and we catch up, you know. Yeah. But that's not the way our food system is built right now. And, um, and it does add a lot of uncertainty when we have an issue, you know. Um, commercial agriculture, industrial agriculture, if you will, it works great as long as fertilizer's cheap. It works great as long as fuel is cheap. It works great as long as there's not a hiccup in the system. Mm -hmm. But the moment that you can't get fertilizer or you can't get seed or you can't, you know, whatever, you know, we've dealt with in the last three years. Yeah. Well, now all of a sudden it creates some problems. And I think people for the first time in a long time are beginning to see that, that, ooh, this is, this is, Fragile. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even even with, like, the war in Ukraine, I mean, fertilizer costs skyrocketed, didn't oh, yeah. they? Oh, yeah. So what do you think? As a, would, you consider, would you consider yourself a regenerative farmer? We are a regenerative you are. farmer. I, we, we do consider ourselves that. And, and when we say that, we try to mimic nature. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a no-till grain drill that we invested a lot nice. of money in. Okay. And so we no-till plant over our summer pastures, and we grow winter grazing in the fall and mm -hmm. winter. Um, we, we, once we get things planted, we try not to till the soil up again. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so, and I say it that way. I know that there's a, a school of thought out there that, Oh, you shouldn't be tilling up anything. Well, in a perfect world. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we dealt with hurricane Michael and you know, it, it destroyed all of the timber and all of the forest on the farm virtually. Mm -hmm. And so we had to clean all that up. And so when you clean that up, it's rough. And so we had to go in there and disc all that, level it. Then we planted grass. You know, this pasture that we looked at with the chickens, the one we looked at with the cows, we won't till that up again. I mean, it's okay. going to be that way 
you know, till the end of time, you know, I mean, if I'm gone and somebody decides to till it up, I guess so. But, yeah. There you go. But, um, <laughs> but no, so we're a regenerative farm in that regard. Uh, we try to mimic nature. Nature doesn't leave things uncovered. You know, um, you, you go in your yard and you take a shovel and you dig out a spot in six weeks, there'll be something in that spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it just happens that way. Um, we move the cows every day. You know, you guys got to witness part of that. The, it was cool, we, yeah. We, we, we waited a little long in the day <laughs> to do it, and so they were like, ah, it's a little warm. It was hot. Right they here. wanted to stay in the shade, and, yeah. And so, but normally we, we move the cows either really early in the morning, you know, between 6 and 7 a.m., or 5 and 6 p.m. So they're not used to, that was out of character for them. Yeah. Um, they, some of them were really good and, and you know, placated us in that. But anyway... <laughs> Um, we move the chickens when we have meat birds, we move them twice a day and okay. they're, they're in the Salatin style, um, enclosures, you know, uh, they're 12 feet long. So they move 12 feet in the morning and they move 12 feet in the evening, um, reduces all the odor, you know, cause chickens are, they're smelly, they're smelly, yeah. they're, they're, they, they poop a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it reduces all of that cause you're essentially giving them a brand new bed every day. Yeah. Okay. And, um, when we had pigs, we moved the pigs about every four to six weeks when we, at one time we had 150 pigs here. And so... That's a lot of pigs. The, now the benefit, like I say, we've cut back on pigs, but the benefit of having 100, 150 pigs on a pasture mm-hmm. and then moving them every, say, six weeks, those pastures now are lush and fertile. And so we've added cows because we've got more pasture for the cows. We had six pig paddocks... Um, that were roughly 30 acres total. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now we can put those cows in there. And I mean, the fences are already up. The Everything's there, you know. Yeah. And so it's really been a, a neat way to use that land. Um, if, if pigs are used properly, you can, they can do a lot of good things. So every time I talk with a regenerative farmer, I think about the words intentionality. Mm-hmm. Like the more intentional you are, you can have less inputs. Because you're paying attention to the grass, to the soil, to the pigs. So do you think like, I don't know, what would you say to a farmer that maybe not is regenerative? Maybe they're on the fence. Like mm-hmm. what would you say to them to make them make that, that last step to going full regenerative? Well, you, you know, you, everybody's got to do what they know. And, and, and the hard part is, is if you've done it one way for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and dad did it that way, and granddad did it that way, and so on. Yeah. Um, it, it, it becomes, I mean, somebody's got to break that trend, mm-hmm. all right? And so we tell everybody, I mean, we're a seventh generation farm, but we're first generation farmers um, because, you know, Mr. Neal, Kelly's granddad, he passed away in 1987. And so the, the succession plan at that point just sort of stopped. The cows went away, the row crop went away, pine trees were planted in most yeah. of the fields. And so we had the benefit of having farmland, but nobody really saying, this is the way you got to do this. Right, yeah. And so we looked at it from a couple of perspectives. One, we wanted to enhance the, the soil. And soil is the most important thing we've got. And so we wanted to improve the soil and enhance it. Um, but at the same time, you know, we didn't have a, a barrel of money. We didn't have a, you know, this trust fund somewhere. So mm-hmm. we had to do things that we could afford. And so the idea of tilling up an area, planting grass, and then putting $10,000 worth of fertilizer on top of it was 
laughable for us. Yeah. You know, we looked at that and like, nope, that's not <laughs> happening. But, you know, I can buy $300 worth of chickens. I can mm-hmm. buy $600 worth of chickens, build a chicken enclosure, and drag those chickens up and down the pasture. And by the time they get to the end of it, I've put $15,000 worth of fertilizer on that pasture. Now, yeah. I didn't do it in one day, and I didn't do it, you know, at one shot, but, you know, I did compound those enterprises and stack them on that acre. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage to doing it that way is that I've got a freezer full of chickens that I can sell, you know, and so I've got, you know, significant inventory that'll help me pay the phone bill and the power bill, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. in the future. And, uh, and I'm improving my soil. And so, so I think it's, a, it's, it's certainly a different way to look at agriculture, you know, um, and I think a lot of farms that would be resistant to regenerative farming I don't know this, this is completely anecdotal, but um, I have a feeling that at some point in a conversation with them, they would tell you they have to feed the world. Because mm. a lot of farms tell you that. Yeah. Um, we don't believe that. I, that is not in my belief system at all. Um, it's not my responsibility, it's not the role of my farm. And I know that's, you know, people would look at, oh, well, that's a, that's a pretty hard line to take. But first and foremost, I mean, I'm responsible for my family. You know, feeding them really high quality, good food. You mm-hmm. know, um, then my community. You know, in, in any given Saturday at the farmers market, you know, we have between forty and sixty customers. You know, mm-hmm. um, pretty regularly at the farmers market, and so those are my those folks are who I'm responsible for. You know, and the more small farms like Lazy Acres, and and you could start naming them, Sindel Farms. You guys yeah. have been to. There's many many small farms out there. The more small farms we get doing this regenerative ag approach, you know, I think the better off we are. And the, and the, the food is better. You know, the, the quality of the food is better. Um, I had a guy come yesterday, drove all the way up from Panama City. And, uh, hey, man, do y'all have any ground beef? And I said, yeah, we've got ground beef. He's like, good. I'm, I'll be there in 20 minutes or whatever. Nice, yeah. He was, he was coming up uh, 231. And um, anyway... He had tried our, our ground beef, and he liked it. He was up in this area anyway, and he was like, you know, I bought beef from a grocery store, and I don't know what's different, but yours is different. You know, I'm like, well, here's some things that are different. And we talked about, you know, it dry aging for two weeks before it's processed mm, in okay. the ground beef. We talked about it being on pasture. Cows are moving around, doing what cows do. They're grazing grass. We're not, we're not feeding grain. Yeah. And, and again, we didn't we didn't sit up on some high lofty point when we decided we weren't doing grain. It was mm-hmm. financial. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody around here is doing grain. And when I started looking at the cost of a ton of you know good quality cow feed, I was like, I can't pencil that out and make it make sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I'm gonna grow the best grass I can, and um, and the cows will do the rest. And so we were very fortunate. <clears throat> we bought. Um, a, a fair number of cows. We, we had a bunch of cows. When I say a bunch, we had about 25. And so we ended up buying 25 cows. We doubled the size of our herd because there was a farm going, the, the gentleman was retiring. He was 92 years old. And Time so to retire. Was, yeah. He was selling off some cattle and his adult children, his daughters, um, they were like 66 and 69 years old. Okay. And so they were to a point where they were like, dad, it's time. <laughs> And so we ended up buying like 25 of their cows. 
Well, they were they were grass cows. He did not believe in feeding them. The mama cow can feed the calves better than I can. Was his? I heard him say that. Mm-hmm. And then the mama cows, well, if they're any kind of mama, they'll go out there and, and graze. And I mean, that was his attitude, you know. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good attitude. Yeah. He had electric fences. We had electric fences. Um, you know, hardy, durable cows. We bought 25 of them, and day one, they walked in here and they started grazing. I mean, they, they never went back to the barn going, hey, is that where the, is that where the feed is? Yeah. They didn't know. They had no idea. <laughs> and so, so part of that is breeding a, a group of cows that can do it, I mean, that are hardy on grass, you know, and, so, and ours, are, ours are that. So before you process them, are they still on grass, or do you do a grain finish? Or? We, don't, we don't do any grain Just finish. all grass, okay. Now, we do occasionally... Um, if it's really dry or if we're in between that, you know, summer to winter time where we don't have a lot of grass, we will give them perennial peanut hay. Gotcha. Okay. And, um, which is a kind of like Southern alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very nutritious. It digests well, you know, a lot of, a lot of protein, a lot of calories. I mean, it's really good. The cows love it. I mean, they will, they'll knock you down to get to it. Yeah. Um, but that's typically what we feed. We just, you know, uh, we did have a time it's been a while back. We've had fairly good rain. We did have a time where we got super dry. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a drought and we did have to feed because I mean, you know, we just had to, there wasn't, yeah. we had to buy hay in the summertime and we had to supplement with feed because the hay didn't have enough protein in it. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, we made that decision based on the body conditioning of our cows, based on you know, what they looked like and how they were able to nurse and how their calves looked and that kind of thing. So we knew, but that's really not a, that was more of a management oh, sort of yeah. survival decision. <laughs> yeah, then in terms of just the diet. It wasn't yeah. a day-to-day operational thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I like your point earlier about kind of like the farmers that want to feed the world. I feel like a lot of the opponents to regenerative farming that are farmers are usually like the big thousand-acre like monocrops where they're, you know, like massive amounts of corn and soybeans and stuff. But like the same farmers are like, we need to decentralize food. So we don't really need to feed the world. And I like that point, like, you don't work you as a farmer you don't need to feed the world you need to feed your family and the community like that's awesome and i think the i always tell people like the shorter the food supply chain is the better it's going to be for the consumer and the farmer because the farmer you know your consumer you're going to get a a little bit more money and the consumer you're going to get better product and support a local business yeah and and local is always better i mean when when you start looking at local it's better on the cows in our case as a local farm it's better on the cows. It's better mm-hmm. on the environment. It's better on me as the farmer. It's better on the customer. Yeah, you know, um, I saw a USDA statistic um, the other day. I was I was on a, on a web forum actually doing some research, um, and the average morsel of food uh, travels about seventeen hundred miles now. Yeah, and I mean. I haven't traveled 1,700 miles. I mean, you know, as the farmer, the farmer doesn't get to see that oh, part yeah. of the country that their, their, their food is going to, you <laughs> yep. know? But, um, but 1,700 miles, that's a ton of diesel fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a ton of resources. Um, you know, everybody talks about this, um, the, the global warming and the climate change, and they're all up in arms about cow farts and things yeah. like that. And it's just, for a small farm like me, I'm just... I'm just perplexed by it. I look at it and I go, what in the world are y'all talking about? I got grass deep enough that you can't see over. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what are y'all talking about, you know? And so I think about a small farm. Well, I don't emit any CO2. I mean, I've got one tractor and one truck. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I'm emitting some CO2, but I've got all of the sequestration exactly, yeah. back into the soil uh, through photosynthesis, through managed grazing, through all of those things. And my supply chain is little. I mean, I'm going to Panama City and back here and I'm, and I'm here, you know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not you know, traveling off to Texas or Wyoming or Washington to sell my product. Yeah. It's being sold right here. And so, so I think if we looked at it from that point of view, a lot of those arguments, especially the anti-animal arguments, mm -hmm. a lot of those begin to lose you know, steam pretty quick. Yeah, I can't remember if it's in the Netherlands or in Ireland, but to combat climate change, they were gonna cull, I think 200,000 cattle, yeah. but they're removing a natural process. Mm -hmm. Like your cows eating grass is a natural process. Right. So essentially they're like, this natural process isn't good enough, let's just remove it. Right. So, but yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, and and, and that, that, it's in the Netherlands where that's happening. It's mm -hmm. heartbreaking, you know, I mean, there again, we we are we would be one of those farms if, if that was happening here. Yeah, you know, and it's absolutely heartbreaking that that's happening to those farms. But at the same time, they've allowed that nonsensical. There again, I don't want to get your podcast. <laughs> I know you're dinged, good, but but this green idea, um, it's just it's 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 just pointed in the wrong direction. You know, yeah. we're, we're renewable, sustainable energy. Um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but my, my bachelor's degree is in electronic engineering. Oh, cool. Okay. And so back in the mid-90s, when I went to college and, and, and learned all about electricity and what it does and can't do and, and those things, you know, um, we really didn't call it solar back then. We, we called it, you know, the photovoltaic array. You know, okay. EVA was what it was called back then. But... Solar, you know, everybody looked at solar and just thought, nah, that's never going to be, you know, <laughs> you know, people that have a solar well, like I do, people that have solar panels on their house, they want to run a water heater, yeah. you know, yeah, okay, but it's, it's never going to be, you know, a real replacement for the grid. Yeah. Okay? Well, there's a thousand acres of solar fields, you know, two miles from this farm that they took farmland and made into solar. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just, it's heartbreaking to see that happen um, the, because the amount of CO2 that they're expelling to create that, to fix the CO2, is yeah. staggering. My farm would never, ever, ever emit that much CO2. In, in two lifetimes, you couldn't emit what they've emitted over there, cleaning that up, manufacturing, you. mining the materials for the solar. And it's a... I mean, it's just not a fantastic energy source. You know, 50% of the time it doesn't work because it's dark. Especially here in Florida when yeah. it rains and, half the time. Yeah. Every afternoon, we're the afternoon thunderstorm state. We're not the yeah. sunshine state. And so, so anyway, I, that's a tangent. <laughs> I got off one. I'm sorry. But no, no, that's no, perfect. It just, it just, you know, it just, it, it does make me wonder. Sometimes our messaging, I think, I think we get so caught up in protecting our territory and agriculture that we forget we need to message differently. Mm -hmm. um, we need to we need to talk to people about the benefits of this, not protect. Oh, I'm going to feed the world. No, no. Let's, let's don't go from that point of view. Yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's um, let's look at it from how can we improve the overall environment. And so anyway. Yeah, no. It seems like you and even people like Joel Salatin, they're like animal agriculture and agriculture in general is part of the solution. Like 
don't completely remove it. Here's if you are intentional about it with grazing, crop rotation, mm -hmm. it can sequester so much more carbon than if you just removed it and then what it's giving off. So yeah, those are all really good points. Oh, yeah. I like it. So you guys are super active, obviously here at the farm store. You go to the Panama City Farmer's Market? Do you, do you go to any other farmer markets around here? Not, not right now. And we have dabbled in different ones. Um, we've done some pop-up markets. We've, we've done other farmer's markets. Um, it's a real challenge at our scale to do more than one, just simply yeah. because we run out of inventory. Um, you know, we were doing two markets a week for a while, and we just couldn't keep up. It was just a... We were on a treadmill and that thing was getting faster and faster and faster. Yeah. So we just, we had to decide, okay, where, where are we going to put our energy? Where are we going to focus? And so we go to the Panama City Farmer's Market, the downtown market, and, um, and we have the farm store here. We have an online store um, and we deliver to Panama City Farmer's deliver, Market okay. just about every Saturday. Nice. Now, do you feel like you found your customer base? Because I've heard horror stories from people that either have... They have a farm store or they do farmer's markets or they, or they deliver. So do you feel like doing all those three at your scale is pretty good for y'all? I think so. Um, yesterday I had a, had a guy come in and I mean, he walked through the door, you know, I need four pounds of ground beef and a six pound chicken. I mean, that's specific. He was oh, yeah. a return customer and I love those people because I'm, I don't have to sell them anything. It just, this is what I need. Yeah. And, and we have a lot of customers at the Panama city market that are like that. You know, they come up, Hey, I need two chickens, one of these, two of those, you know, it's easy to pull all that out of the freezer, ring it up, mm -hmm. shake their hand, talk about their kids for a second or two, you know, camaraderie with them, you know, and then they move on the next customers there. The customer that's difficult is the one that wants, you know, they've never eaten from a local farm. They've yeah. never eaten grass finished beef. Um, you know, they, they want to ask you a million questions about what you do. Um, well, why is yours more expensive than it is at the grocery store? I don't understand that. And so they're not really a customer. <laughs> yeah. And so those are, those are challenges, you know, and, and they exist everywhere. And sometimes we win those folks over. Um, sometimes we don't, but, um, I know that having the farm store, uh, has helped us over the years. Now, if you look at the sales at the farm store versus the farmer's market or the online sales, the farm store doesn't hold a candle to those. Mm. We're off the beaten path. I mean, you drove out here. You've yeah. got to be intentional to get to mm -hmm. Nothing is out here. It's us. <laughs> and so you, you, you've got to be coming here to get here. There's, there's no other reason to be here. So, but if we get people here and we can walk around a little bit and we can look at cows and we can look at pigs and look at chickens and we can tell them our story, you know, they end up becoming a customer more often than not. That's awesome. Um, you know, and they may become an online customer, but this helped them understand what we're doing and, yeah. why, and why we're doing it. And speaking of like sharing your story, y'all just got Starlink. So are you going to be a little bit more active on the internet That's, now? That is our plan. There you uh, go. We're about a week now, not quite a week into Starlink. And so um, we, we, we're excited about that. Um, you know, we, we've been binged watched a series on Amazon. It's one of the first times we've actually done that, <laughs> you know, and I, I was like, I don't know. I, I got to be careful with this. Oh, yeah. You, know, you can binge stuff for days. Yeah, I'll yeah. sit here and become a couch potato and I got <laughs> chores to do, you know. But, um, but I guess we just, 
when you don't have internet, you don't have a consistent, and we're, we're rural, so you know it's always been inconsistent, um, to all of a sudden have something that just works. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like, oh my, you know, that's... Game changing. Very interesting. I mean, has Starlink been good for you, for y'all so far? Like, what's your experience been like so, with it? So far, um, and and there again, we were used to a little hotspot. Oh yeah. From a from a wireless carrier, uh, and we would get four or five megabits download speed, and it yeah. was about fifty percent of the time. I mm-hmm. mean, it was just not consistent. Um, the first day we had Starlink, you know, we were at one hundred and eighty megabits. Yeah. So it's just mind numbing that this is. <laughs> What you know? I mean, this we we updated all our phones, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, the iPad looked completely different the next day, you know. And it's like I don't even know what to do. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. I bet it's so funny because I I've, I hear that pain point from every other farmer I talk to. They're like, we have no internet. I have to go in town to yep. do it, or I have to get in the car. Did y'all have any sort of assistance when you tried to get Starlink from like the Florida Department of Agriculture or anything no. like that? No, we we were on the waiting list. A little over two years. Really? Okay. And um, it was funny. The FedEx guy pulls up in the driveway, and he's got my Starlink box. And I know I was probably like, "Hey, you know." <laughs> and so you uh, go out there skipping. Yeah, you're like, yeah, "Internet." I, I yeah. Know, I'm sure that I was like, "All right." And he said, "Yeah, you've been looking forward to this." And I was like, "Yes, sir, I have. I've been on the waiting list a little over two years." We chit chatted about it. Yeah. He said, "Well, they must have." He said, "I knew something had changed." He said, because this is probably the 12th one of these that I've delivered over the last two weeks. No way. And he said, so everybody in this little community is on Starlink. Cool. And I okay. was like, well, that's neat, you know. And so, um, so yeah, everybody was in that same boat. They were willing to make the investment. They were willing to pay the monthly fee just to see. Oh, yeah. Um, and like I say, so far, it's been great. It was super easy to install. Um, and, and I'm relatively handy because I've... I, you know, on the farm, you do things. And electrical engineering, yeah. yeah. And so, so installing it was, I mean, they thought of everything. I mean, they literally thought of everything. Nice. So it's well done. The app is well done. Um, you know, sometimes you, you get things and you look at the app and you're like, what is this? You know, but, <laughs> but it works really well. Have you seen the satellites go by at night? I've not seen them. Um, my neighbor did. Really? I, okay. I have not. I don't. I guess we get up really early in the morning. I'm usually in bed by nine, nine yeah, thirty. So I guess I'm just not out there when they're out there. But um, I've seen pictures of them. I think oh yeah, cool. they're trippy. I think I've seen them once. But then you can get online and go to a website that shows you all the different satellites, and you can mm-hmm. see them. And they're just like daisy chaining yeah. around the world. It's wild. Right. It's pretty neat. Well, that's awesome. So if people want to follow you, what's the website? What days do you go to the Panama it's, City Farmers Market? The website is thelazyacres.com, and um, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, it's it's the Lazy Acres, um, and so we go to the farmers market just about every Saturday. Okay. Now, with that said, you know we've had we've had some inconsistency there. We've had graduations and we've had weddings and we've had we've had a lot of stuff going. And on. anniversaries, yeah. And anniversaries, yeah. And just a lot of stuff going on, life going on, and so. Um, but typically, we're at the farmers market every Saturday. Um, we're we're closed here at the farmers at the farm store, you know Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and there again most days we're open. I always encourage people, if, especially if you're driving up from Panama City or Tallahassee or somewhere that's a little bit of a drive, um, you know, call ahead of time before you come out here. Right. Yeah. Normally I'm here, but like yesterday I had to run into town and had a guy call and he's like, "Hey, I'm ten minutes from the farm store," and I'm like, "Oh, well I'm 
I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so anyway, but he was cool. I mean, he sat on the front porch out there until I got here. Yeah, enjoy the rocking chairs yeah. out there. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Good little view. You can see the dogs too. Bear and what was the other dog's name? Bear and Wes. Bear and, and Wes. We, we have Marley. You didn't meet Marley. Okay. Um, Marley was inside. Marley is our, she's the sweetest dog in the whole world. I mean, literally. Um, and so, but the, she, as the vet put it the last time she was there, she's very well conditioned. <laughs> and uh, okay. so the heat is tough on Marley. Oh, so poor Marley's thing. Okay. inside the house. You know, there you Marley's, go. Marley's the queen. So uh, Are they all pretty friendly whenever all the customers they come are, up? They are. Now, Wes, Wes tries to talk to you and he has this like <laughs> grunt and gurgle that he yeah. does. And he's done it since the day he was born. We don't know. <laughs> But some people think he's growling, but he's not. He's, yeah. he's the gentlest dog ever, but he does have this like rah, 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 rah. Just trying know? to say, he's very welcoming. Yeah, yeah. he's just super sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for having us. This was fun yeah. to do a, an in-person interview, actually, with Allie behind the camera. So yeah. thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for coming out. Yeah. Thanks again for Ryan for coming on the show and thank you so much for listening. If you want to see the actual clip of the interview and the whole farm tour, go check out our YouTube channel that is linked below in the description. You can see all the awesome cows that we talk about, their farm and the farm store and all that good stuff. And of course, check out the Lazy Acres Family Farm over on Facebook and their website, which you might have guessed it is also linked below in the description. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.